everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, the fabulous, glamorous Nikki Nellis. Mm -hmm. Luckiest woman in the world because she married me, of course. That's, uh, it's that's a, my hashtag. It's a grim. That's right. I'll bet it is. <laughs> it's a grim Sunday, but we've got a lot of cool action going on in the studio today. First off, um, Ashok Bajaj has done it again. He is the restaurateur with the Midas Touch. Mm -hmm. uh, the man behind monumental dining spots like Rasika and the Oval Room and Bindas and the Bombay Club. Uh, he's transformed Ardeo Bardeo uh, across the street from the Uptown Theater into Sababa. No, it's an he's transform Ardeo into wait, Sababa. Wait, wait, Bardeo is Bindas. Why do we have to do this because in front you say, of the world? Because you say he it incorrectly. He transformed Ardeo Bardeo into Sababa and Bindas. You didn't let me finish. Okay. I don't right? think you were going to say that. I but was. That's okay. It's all written right here. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Okay, go. Don't Can get you, married. This is going right. to be the longest intro so ever. Sababa's, well, because you won't let me finish. So Sababa's it. executive chef, Ryan Moore's in. We've had his food. It is awesomeness. He has lots of food in studio, too. And we're going to be talking too. about it. Mm -hmm. Now, Every visit to a Cuban home starts with the offer of a cafecito topped with caramel-colored foam called espumita, and every night ends with a tray passed uh, around with small cups of sweet coffee. DC's Colada Shop carries on that tradition with amazing Cuban coffee. We've got uh, Chef oh my God, that is so Mario good. Monte in here, who happens to be Italian. We're going to figure out how that all happened. He's half but Italian. He's brought... Which half? The top half or the bottom half? <laughs> I hope it's the bottom half. No, no. Don't talk. Don't talk. Okay. Um, mm. So, along with the, uh, the Power Breakfast Restaurant uh, Seasons, uh, that uh, we, 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 we did the Four Seasons uh, last, last week, week as mm -hmm. well. The Four Seasons Washington, D.C. has one of America's premier steakhouses. It's bourbon steak. It's awesome. Uh, Chef Drew Adams runs the kitchen. And he's an interesting guy. He's a surfer who likes sharks. And we were talking about that. But he also likes to forage uh, locally to find cool stuff in the forest seasonally uh, to add into his meals. We're going to hear about that. And also, you can go with him on one of these foraging trips. Which we will talk about when Which he gets on air. Go. Okay. And today's today's drink segment's a little different. Uh, Jill Erber's in. She's the founder of Cheese Teak Specialty Cheese Shop. Okay, wait. She's we're going to back up on that. Jill opened up Cheese Teak how long ago? 14 years ago. She doesn't when, look a day over 20. Look I know. You, well, not girl. only that. Look at but you, girl. But no, 14 years ago. And at the time that she opened it up, nobody was doing cheese shops like this. So I am. I can't believe it's been this long and we've never had her in studio. So I'm very excited to have Jill in studio today. She's going to be pouring a variety of wine. She brought in an incredible selection of cheeses, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, boy, that was tersely done. That was okay. nice. Yeah, but I'm first, good at that. First, we're going to talk to our friend Mitch Berliner at Central Farm Markets. And once again, we've caught you in a lie because you said it never rains on you, and here it is raining on you. Yes, I know, I know. We've uh, had a little bit of uh, ill weather, but it has not stopped the crowds from coming out today. And um, Well, listen, if the farmers are there, the crowds need to come, right? Everybody works very hard to get there in the farmer's markets. Indeedy. It's heartwarming. We even have our musicians here today, believe it or not. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, under tents, we've covered tables for our patrons. 
It's the start of um, the cider season. We have both apple and pear cider, hmm. which makes just the best martinis. And you can put some fresh ginger from our market in there, not the dried stuff. Wait, so pear cider? I'm not familiar with pear cider. Is it really it's, thick and syrupy? No, no. It's just like apple cider, only it's pears. Interesting. And seriously, hmm. the best martinis ever. With pear martini. cider. You sound like you oh, might have had a couple. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> no, yet. but I will this evening. <laughs> and um, we got some unusual. So, of course, we have 20 varieties of apples and pears, but we still have corn, peaches, nectarines. You still have lots tomatoes? Lots of, yeah, lots of tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, heirloom cherry tomatoes, mm. um, you name it. We have uh, 15 kinds. I checked this out today. 15 kinds of spicy peppers. Hmm. Um, so if you want that, we have a guy, and I don't know if you ever heard of Cardoon. We've got Cardoon, so we've got a lot of unusual Okay, well, things. so for those of us who don't know what Cardoon is, do you want to tell us? It looks like, um, a big celery stalk, and it's in the artichoke family, believe oh. it or not. And, uh, you cook them, you got to peel them, cook them, and so there's a little bit of doing, but it's, um... Is it like, like a, artichoke. like a Jerusalem artichoke? Do you cook it like that? Yeah. Um, like Sancho? Yeah, I think you could do it. I mean, people could Google it. I'm mm -hmm. taking home some tonight. To, I, You're going to play with before. it? Okay. Yeah. And you talk about foraging. We've got about four or five types. Our mushroom stand today has four or five types of mushrooms that have been far, uh, you know, foraged as opposed to grown. We have chanterelles, chicken mushrooms, um, all kinds of good stuff. But today is the pie contest here in Bethesda. That's right. And we have 30. Um, different contestants uh, in savory and sweet, and we even have a bunch of under 17-year-olds that are Is that legal? in our, uh, you know, contest today, and so it's very exciting, and we'll be handing a check to Mana today, so that's nice. That's so thing. terrific. All right, Mitch, tell so everybody where they can find you, please. We are at Saturdays at the Westfield Montgomery Mall. And Pike and Rose. On Sundays, we are at the Mosaic District in downtown Mosaic, Fairfax, Virginia. And, of course, downtown Bethesda. And you can get all the information at centralfarmmarkets.com. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Great Have a great week. Great yeah. Thanks, Mitch. Excellent. Take care. Support Bye. your farmer's markets. It's right. important. Jill. Let's talk about cheese teak, but let's also mention that Jill's husband, Jeff, is here doing her bidding. Yes. He's running around. Jeff awesome, this, awesome, Jeff awesome husband. And I can relate to that because I'm oppressed as well. We, yeah. shall, we should rise up. You should right. rise up. We should good rise up. Good luck with that. Have yes. a good time. Well, watch, honey, is it okay if I rise up? <laughs> yeah, rise okay? up. All right. So talk about cheese teak and how you got How you got cheese. started 14 years ago. Uh, so we opened 14 years ago in Alexandria. Virginia, right across the river, mm -hmm. uh, and in the um, Delray area, in the Delray neighborhood, which is where we actually right. have lived for the past twenty years as well. So, mm -hmm. we opened there, and we were just a little cheese shop. Like we didn't even sell wine when we first opened, just cheeses and charcuterie, and uh, that was awesome. And we started to expand from there, and we added a restaurant in that location, uh, and then added a second full location, and now we have uh, four. We just opened our fourth in June. But I kind of to go back to the beginning a little bit because mm -hmm. you know the idea of a cheese shop especially 15 years ago as a little specialty shop right. in the dc market it wasn't something that people would be like yeah that's a money maker let's go with that you know and like sourcing all the cheeses what that takes 
How were you, like, what's your history in that, and how did you go about? because everybody loves cheese. You, you just thought of it before anybody did. Well, no, that, but, I mean, like, if you go to New York City, there's tons of cheese right. shops. Right, they, they do right. exist in, uh, there wasn't anything here, here but right, in D.C. I mean. And that's before mm -hmm. Whole Foods was really, was before like. before Whole Foods had opened right. in Alexandria. Exactly. Um, so it, it's funny that you said that, Nikki, because when we first opened and I would tell people, because I left a technology job to do this, and, mm -hmm. and when I would tell people what I was going to do, they would they would literally go, I'm sorry, a what like, shop? What are you doing? Like right. they had no concept that a shop that only sold cheese How many times would did you exist. Get cut the cheese jokes. Oh, just they are endless. He could yeah. not help infinite, himself. Infinite, infinite times, David. But I'm bummed to this day. I'm doing to this day. I'm writing a book. <laughs> yes, yes, and everyone thinks it's the first time I've heard it. Right. right. So I, I have know. to laugh. I'm and pretty be, sure know. it's not the first time. Right. You heard it. No. No. So, um, so it was, um, it was a really big transition, and 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 I joke that the first retail job I ever worked was my own shop, and the first restaurant job I ever had was when I opened my own restaurant. So, mm -hmm. um, I reinvented pretty much every wheel and. Kind of had to fight every battle like a, like a complete novice. A cheese, like a cheese wheel, Nikki. <laughs> that was oh, good. Yeah. Well, you're so laughing good. at your own joke, which is cheap, I think. I'm I love when everybody comes I'm on laughing. the show when we first start off and, and, and she starts picking on me and everything. They look like, what the hell is she doing? Now it's my turn. That wasn't funny. Okay, okay. that I was funny. Um, I think it was funny. Do you think funny. I care? What do Let's you think? talk about girl your first power, because right. we girl power. We got to move on. Okay, so tell us what you're doing first, please. Right. So uh, we're going to start our theme today, since it's the first full day of autumn, is uh -huh. autumnal cheeses and wines. And if you did not know that there was such that is a thing, my husband's favorite it's word. because the there isn't central. really such a thing. I kind of made up this category like okay. today, um, because I thought it would be a really fun way to transition from lighter summery fare to heartier, richer. Okay, Autumn so what are we fare. doing first? We're tasting first a triple cream. Can I move? No, just I talk can't first, move. and then you can do it after. Radio is awkward. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're doing a triple cream truffle-filled cheese, cow's milk cheese from Sounds France, delicious. which is wonderful. It is Cremo de Bourgogne, so it's actually from Burgundy in France. Mm -hmm. uh, it's outstanding, and we're going to be having that with a sparkling Vouvray, uh, which is a lot of people have had still Vouvray before. Mm -hmm. It's a really acidic, delicious wine, and we're doing a sparkling version today, and I'm going to attempt to open it without completely... Can and I do it now? And while you're doing that, you're we're going to move on. Yep, okay. we're going to talk oh, to Ryan. Chef, Chef Ryan, Ryan Moore has got yeah. such an interesting story to tell. How are mm -hmm. you, man? <laughs> Very good. All right, Very good. So How are you? Why don't you just tell the story how a guy named Ryan Moore started cooking Egyptian and Israeli Party just started food and all in the that. studio. Sorry. <laughs> Fire away. All right. Um, I have a pretty interesting past. I spent a, a lot of time in the Middle East. Um, my father married an Egyptian woman uh, in the early 2000s, who just happens to be the same age as me. So for that the happens. wedding, it does happen. <laughs> just happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've gone to Egypt quite a bit for the wedding. He started a new family. I have a little brother and sister named Ramses and Rubel Farida. Oh my God, really? Yes. Uh, so I've my whole life as a, a mm. chef since I started this career. I've spent a lot of time in North Africa, and in 2013, I just straight moved to the Middle East and lived in the UAE for a while. Were you cooking there? Yes, I did okay. a lot of consulting, um, mm -hmm. staging, private events over there. Mm -hmm. It's very lucrative over there. Mm -hmm. They love American chefs. Um, and I got to... Okay, good to know. While there, I got to spend some time. I worked for Pierre Garnier. It's a mm -hmm. We don't play, have Facebook Live going. I know. Oh, this is delicious. Drew Go ahead. Ryan brought in cool stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, so I picked up a lot of techniques, and I fell in love with the flavors of the Middle East uh -huh. and all the spices and cuisine. So varied. Mm -hmm. So different. So as I came back to the United States, 
I brought a lot of these techniques and formed my own identity of cooking with a lot of these flavors. Uh, my background is varied. I worked for Jose Andres for so long, mm -hmm. six years at Mini Oh, Did we have a little reunion here in studio? Did you guys know each other? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Never mind. We can do that <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, I spent um, five years behind the mini bar, the original one in Cafe Atlantico, mm -hmm. working with all the chefs from El Bui and Katsuya. all these international chefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Katsuya. Mm -hmm. That's where we met him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's totally possible. But we can we just finish? At Sababa, you look Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, working with Jose Andres and all these international chefs, uh, worked, uh, spent a lot of time cooking side by side with Yanni Cam. I uh, learned a lot of his cooking, which is just amazing, mm -hmm. that when uh, Shook presented this project and wanted to do modern Israeli food, fell in love because like, yes, this is Israeli it. food is like the way I've, I've grown my career. I've mm -hmm. learned from all these different influences and wanted to put my stamp and my touch on this cuisine. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, what I really want to talk about is your sourcing and how you and go the about yeah. putting the menu together and... and putting your own stamp on Israeli cuisine and what that looks like at Sababa. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Booty and the Beast. We are digging into Israeli cuisine and cheese and wine and lots more. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back on Booty and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And Unfortunately, we don't have Facebook Live today, but we are really like eating great. and drinking well. That triple cream was ridiculous, and so is all this gorgeous food that Chef Ryan brought in from Sababa. Chef, let's talk about some of the dishes you put on the menu and some of the dishes you brought in studio today. All right. Uh, some of the – I have some pretty interesting cuisine. One thing I want everybody who comes to mm -hmm. Sababa to try is the hummus. Okay. I'm very proud of the hummus. Okay. Spend a lot of time researching the best technique. I mean, hummus is thousands of years old. Right. So it's been done a million different ways. Mm -hmm. so um, this is thousand-year-old hummus? <laughs> no, this is actually uh, Tel Aviv-style hummus. Um, I went up to Philadelphia and spent a week with Mike Salmanoff. Mm -hmm. as, as He's been Zahab, in studio. Not on and he showed me how he makes his hummus. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to open Sababa, mm -hmm. I took mm -hmm. what I've learned from him and developed my own recipe. Okay, so let me ask you a question because I think Americans in general, you know, 20 years ago, nobody was eating hummus in America, <laughs> right? And now it's in every, you know, Every grocery store has doesn't just have one brand. They have multiple brands, right? So I feel like we've been fed this steady diet of really mediocre hummus. You know what I mean? Because it should be a lot looser. It should be a lot creamier. So can you talk about the process of making a really good hummus and what's missing from those store brand hummuses? What you'll never get from a store brand hummus is the lightness and airiness of right. fresh hummus that mm -hmm. you whip yourself. Plus all the preservatives to make it shelf stable. Like does not need to be in there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to eat any citric acid. Any any of those chemicals should not belong in hummus. But what's interesting is this hummus. I mean, every every four hundred yards in Israel, there's a little stand with tahini and hummus and all that stuff. It is. And, it's the and, substance of the people. And they're to just fill whipping you up. it up, and you're eating it right there, fresh. So it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work to make hummus. You need to be three days out. You need to soak dried chickpeas. Overnight, you need to make uh, garlam. You need to cook the chickpeas. The chickpeas need to be cool. Mm -hmm. So there's always How do you that find process. Out if a chickpeas cool. <laughs> I'm just asking. Okay. All right, talk about this. Not a lot of people. There are a lot of people that look at eggplant and go, eh, I don't know about that. This eggplant dish. Is, I don't know who those people are. There are I lots love of people. Eggplant. So I put this. 
this charred egg plant, uh, you see it all over the Middle East. It's the basis of Baba Ganoush. It's mm-hmm. everything. It's it's an old tried and true technique to Take to them. do eggplant. Uh, I opened Sababa with this on the menu originally with, um, you know, Italian eggplant, the large eggplant that we see in the grocery store. Right. I ended up going through almost 300 pounds of eggplant a week. Wow. I did not have the cooler space to hold the eggplant. It is the number one seller on the menu. So, For good reason. Uh, what I do is uh, salt it overnight, draw out a lot of the moisture, okay, put it in a pan, mm-hmm. cook it till it's black. Okay. Completely charred. Then flip over the other side till it's completely charred. The inside becomes very Meaty, luxurious like, right, and like creamy mm-hmm. and smooth and and somewhat sweet. Uh, so I pair that with uh, an herb labne, which is a strained yogurt with mm-hmm. a lot of herbs mixed into it. It is a huge, huge success. Labne? Yes, labne. That, that's how you pronounce it. Okay. So. When you opened up in the Cleveland Park neighborhood, were there people who came in? Were there some things on the menu that you were that people were like, "Ooh, what is like?" Were there lots of questions, or do you find that the there that is. The, the, the clientele is predominantly educated and understands a lot of the things on the menu? Yes, uh, it was a, a, a big learning curve. A, I had to teach the staff a new language mm-hmm. and uh, all new flavors. The hardest part I found is. The way you eat in most of the world outside of America mm-hmm. is a lot of food shared. Sure. And it's not tapa style. It's just you have a lot of food on the ta- table and you mix all the flavors together. Mm-hmm. And that's how you eat outside of the United States. I mean, States. it's actually how I prefer You to think eat. of like Thanksgiving dinner would right. be the closest thing. that, But that's every dinner in most of the world. So that was the hardest thing is to educate people that it's not a – uh, appetizer, appetizer entree, entree, dessert, and that was a, a, a battle for the first. I bet. Well, people seven are months. really conditioned. We're seven months old, so we're still. Some people come in and be like, "I want this as my appetizer, and then this is entree." None of the dishes are built to be eaten as a so singular dish. What Got gave it. a shirk the idea? Um, it's Israeli food is so close to Indian food. A lot of the spices, a lot of the flavors. Your life, because Bindas is right next door, and you. (laughs) How close can you get? Absolutely. So there's a lot of influences from India. I mean, Israel is in the center of the trade route, so Mm -hmm. it had all those flavors and components to it. So it was a perfect match for him. He wanted to make something. I didn't know this until a couple of months ago. There are a million Jews in the north of India. Yeah, the whole Jewish community. Imagine them having locks and but bagels. But that doesn't mean Israeli food. Israeli food is not necessarily Jewish food. No. Right? no. Israeli and cuisine no, is a specific, it's the cuisine right. of the country, uh, correct. not necessarily religiously based. Absolutely. It is a, a mixture of all the influences and everything. And right. what is in modern time, what is grown there now, I mean, cherry tomatoes originally came from Israel, like cultivated all these different things and all this produce. I mean, they supply. The, you know, Europe uh, with avocados. Isn't that amazing? So, like, you know, you wouldn't think of avocados being What's an avocado Israeli. shortage? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've got to wrap up, but tell everybody where Please. Sababa is. All right. Sababa is in Cleveland Park at 3311 Connecticut Avenue, about two blocks north of the zoo. Across from Excellent. the uptown. And Correct. we've eaten there. Yes, and we have. I was very skeptical when my wife ordered the eggplant because I was like, mm, mm. Right, so when he says that most people don't like eggplant, he means him. I am most people. (laughs) Isn't it all about me? It is. It is. It's what it feels like. your food is awesome. Yes. Go to Zababa. All All right. right. Thank you. Back to Jill. Jill, that cheese was ridiculous. Yeah, I know.
It feels I like... I take all the credit for it, obviously. Take all the credit yes. for it. So how did you go about sourcing a cheese like that? So there's a number of ways that you can do it. Um, we work with a number of small and, and very creative importers because we're not actually an importer ourselves. Okay. So they will import the cheeses, and then they will talk with us about new exciting stuff they have. We can pre-order things that they have access to that other people won't have access to. Mm -hmm. So it's like shopping in the world's greatest store ever. And you're like, ooh, that sounds delicious. I want that. Right. And then a couple weeks later, it arrives on your doorstep. So that's, that's especially with the international cheeses like this one um, from France, that's the experience, as opposed to meeting with the farmers directly or having them ship directly to us, which is something we also do. Well, how has that changed for you as a buyer? Because locally, there's been an explosion of artisan cheesemakers, not just in the D.C. market, but upstate New York, you know, yes. nationally. So that must change the kind of product that you're presenting to your clientele. It absolutely presents both the product and the expectations that the clientele has of the sure. product. So um, people are very proud of their own localities. They're excited when they have local farmers that are making something great, and they're very proud of that. They want to see those things be represented in their stores. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of fun pressure. I mean, it's not like horrible pressure, um, but to represent lots of local farmers from all over the Northeast, uh, uh, especially um, lots of California folks as well. They really love to have their California cheeses represented. But what we have to choose from now compared to what we had to choose from 15 years ago, it's a different it's a different world in such an amazing way. But, you know, when you say that, it makes me think about wine, right? So people want to see French wine. They want to see Virginia wine, they want to see, you know, Riesling from New York. So, like, you're able to yes, do we, almost the same thing, which must be – is that why you added wine? Like, how did wine become a part of the conversation? Well, originally it was because people would come in to purchase cheese and go, well, you don't have wine. And right. so very quickly it became obvious that we needed to, to have wine. And did I knew – sounding that Neanderthal? Yeah. They absolutely. You don't have it's wine? It's just like that. Like that? Yes, it was okay. just uh, so <laughs> insultingly like that, I realized, as I made fun of them. But they, that's not how anyone actually spoke. No. Did you say, kill, but, Jeff, kill? No. No? <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, no, we, it was the demand. What we've always done, we've grown to customer demand. We've always gone to places where customers want us to go. So we tried to respond to what they wanted to see. Um, and where the sort of American uh, wine industry has exploded over the past decades, cheese was just a little bit behind that. Um, mm -hmm. But not surprisingly, they are both um, products of the earth and uh, products with great sense of terroir and locality. Uh, and people really love to explore that. All right. We've got to cool. move what are you on. Gonna or next, just quickly. Okay, so us. the next we're going to be doing a Sancerre, also from France, which yeah. is a Sauvignon Blanc grape, and we're going to be pairing that with actually um, an Italian goat's milk cheese. Fabulous. Okay, while well, you're doing that, well, speaking we're of Italians, coffee. Chef Mario Monte is an Italian. Figure that he's a CIA graduate. He too is with Jose, and he is the genius behind the Colada shop, um, at which I mean. We've got more different types of Cuban coffees in front of us, and you can shake a stick at it. So why don't you give us your background, and then let's talk this stuff. Sure. Um, I'm Cuban-Italian. Uh, my father's Cuban from Santiago. My mother is Italian uh, from the Lazio region in Italy. Um, si, sí, come no. Exactly. Um, but I grew up in Venezuela, um, mm -hmm. So, and that comes from very big uh, background as far as after the Second World War. Venezuela opened its doors to Italy, and my grandfather was one of those men that took a boat to a strange land and wow. met a Venezuelan woman, which was my grandmother. So there's a deep connection with South America, the Caribbean, for my family, uh, also very Italian. So my holidays are very interesting. I bet. Um, which are really fun. Uh, but here we have, and I brought for you, a Sentinela. Um, so the Sentinela drink, um, Sentinela is a name given to a watch guard. 
Um, so part of that watch is hearing as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a drink that has espresso, ginger beer, angostura bitters, and some what, what we call sweet Cuban crema. Okay, well, I feel like we have to back up yeah, a little what? bit. Yeah, okay. Why? Let's talk about Colada Shop and the well, coffee program. Why is coffee so important in Cuba? Um, co- it used to be one of its biggest crops that was grown. Um, it, coffee didn't become a thing until um, the production of sugar in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So, which is why the difference between an espresso and a cafe cubano is really sugar. Um, the addition of sugar is very much a Cuban thing. So you have coffee and it always is sweet. Uh, sweeter the but better. Let's, so, but Cuban coffee is not anything like American coffee. It is N- thick. No, it's got it's, personality. It's yeah. thick, it's got personality. It's, it's heavily roasted. Um, it's and usually... And how is it... Is it brewed differently like what is what is the process so if we're talking if we're going to make it at home which uh the biggest i want to say maybe um historically what changed and what made cuban coffee uh a staple was really the revolution Mm -hmm. Uh, and even before that um because they wanted to stay awake to see what happens next well i mean the coffee (laughs) culture still evolved because what ended up happening a lot of businesses ceased to exist in while the revolution started Mm -hmm. coffee shops kind of died private businesses were no longer private they were part of the government um so therefore uh, the entire ventanita culture or going and having coffee out of someone's window was born out of the necessity of keeping the caffeine kind of going. A black market Correct. Sort of and that's what happened with coffee. We've and all it's... seen The Godfather, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so out of that happening was where the colada came out of, which is how um, we named and kind of designed and came up with this concept of colada shop because a colada to Cubans is a coffee that's meant to be shared. Okay. Um, which is very different to American coffee culture, where this is my coffee, it's personal. Uh, right, I like I'm it. Make it the way exactly. I want it. Right. Uh, okay. But for Cubans, coffee is a social um, uh, product. Uh, it's something that when you have people over, you share coffee. Um, when you um, uh, when you're sad, when you're you know anything, coffee's always around. Um, is that why I'm having coffee right now? <laughs> yes. Are you I, sad? I'm not because I have it's to raining. My sadness. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, so coffee is very big, and and also because I'm Italian, uh, there's also a big coffee culture in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coffee for me on both spectrums of that style, mm-hmm. um, you know, Cubans definitely have more of that strength when it comes to what people expect out of a cafe cubano. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. When we yeah. come back, let's talk about the Colada Shop. You have two properties. And, yep. and the program that you're doing, because the coffee program there is insane. You Thank have you. a coffee festival coming. Yes, we, we do. do. I want to attend. Okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're getting our buzz with our coffee from Colada Shop. We'll be back in just a sec. We're hmm. back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Chef Mario Monte from the Colada Shop. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with the Colada Shop, yes. You have two properties. We do, uh, D.C. and Sterling, Virginia. Okay, can you talk about the concept? So the concept is a celebration of what socialism or like just Cubanism overall means. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've kind of wanted to perfect the cafeteria style of Cuban cuisine, which is the sandwiches, the all-day affair, what we call the empanadas, the croquetas, uh, also a great coffee program, and we also do cocktails. Uh, because all of those things... See, it's so funny, because it doesn't feel like... Like, when you talk about the Colada Shop, I wouldn't think cocktails would be a natural part of what you do. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like a bakery and a sandwich yep. shop. You know, like, lunchtime on 14th Street, you guys are full. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it's interesting that the cocktails come in there. What 
what so, made you decide to do that? I mean, for us, really, the entire what makes up Cuban culture is as important, and rum is one of those. Um, you know, one of our business partners, he's great with cocktails, and we really wanted to kind of push the limit when it came to having this kind of concept that is somewhat fast casual mm -hmm. um, to have a great cocktail program that people could come to um, for cocktails and enjoy a great happy hour um, and have really classic drinks that are timeless. Uh, mm -hmm. That for us was a big challenge. Uh, in and of itself to be able to execute and have people really enjoy the way they have. Do most people get and go or do they hang around? Oh, they definitely hang around, well, especially in our 14th rooftop. Street, they yeah. have a gorgeous rooftop. Yep, our rooftop garden. You need to get out more. <laughs> yeah, come by. You um, need to tell me when you're invited, please, <laughs> instead of keeping it to yourself. You didn't invite me. I went with friends. So get cocktails are a big thing. And then now what we're trying to do is, towards the end of this year, is with this coffee fest, um, really be able to celebrate Cuban coffee. Uh, and what that means in the different styles. And also in the drink that I bring is something that isn't necessarily um, Cuban in the sub. It's not traditional. But we're kind of wanting to, you know, bring some other inventive you drinks. get a lot of people from the White House showing up? Um, we do. We, are, we uh, really? honestly get a lot of people who order a lot of the baked goods uh, for the Cuban embassy. We get a lot of different uh, departments that come in and get a lot of catering from us. So... People, I, I love that people are enjoying and loving Cuban food. Um, it's still, it's, it's, it's that cuisine that hasn't evolved because it's got uh, somewhat of history to it. That to depend on who you're talking to, it could be positive or negative. Um, but well, Cuban food. You can't food, be angry at food. You can't, no. Uh, but when we're in Miami, anything that happens with Cuba, that everyone yeah. shows up, uh, you know, to kind of protest, and it's usually with coffee. So, can um, we just tell everybody quickly about this? Coffee Festival. Yeah, yeah Coffee Fest starts uh, September 29th and it right. runs through October 7th. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also doing uh, coffee cuppings and cocktail class. So for DC, we're holding October 2nd. We're doing the coffee cupping and cocktails in DC. And then Sterling, we're doing October 3rd. Um, same thing. Uh, we're doing tickets through Eventbrite. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely get your ticket. We'll have all the info on the listeryouanit.com. Yeah. Um, Shameless plug. It's not a plug. It's a fact. <laughs> yeah. If you want tickets, we have all the yeah, info there. So everything's you can get it there. there. Um, but it's just really a celebration for us to, you know, bring to this D.C. market that they can celebrate Cuban coffee as well. Excellent. I love that. Well, thank I you celebrated. so much. This thank is you for so having delicious. Me. Thank you for coming until in. until Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to Jill. All Great right. stuff. This so, is Jill, delicious. that last cheese was really... Ape Regina. That is an homage to you, Nikki. Oh, it means you. queen bee. I love uh, that. In Italian. Oh, oh, great. And oh, great. it's coated with beeswax. Great. Uh, so it's awesome. It is really, it's a really unique, mm -hmm. a really what unique are you offering. Doing to me? She's going to be I can't, preening I can't like help that. It. I love her. Like, I don't need your, I don't I, I need love help. Her too, I preen but anyway. I don't need all that attitude at home. Okay, right? anyway. <laughs> all right. Let's not worry about that, shall we? So, okay. You added uh, wine offerings. Yes. And then you decided, I need to do a restaurant. Right. How did that come to? That was also customer feedback. So they would say things like, oh, I wish there were a place where we could sit and enjoy the cheese and wine and hang out. And so that's all sort of an entrepreneur, I guess, needs to hear is like, oh, there's a need that there's I can more. fill. I can fill right. this. So, um, so that's when we added um, what I then thought of as a small cafe, uh, quote unquote. Which and that was at Sherlington, right? The that, no, that was in Delray. That was Del in our oh, original in Del Rey. location. Okay, Del Rey, right. And then a couple of years later, we opened the Sherlington, Sherlington location, which had automatically the restaurant mm -hmm. and the cheese shop. So that's our model now. Yeah. Okay. And for people to understand, I mean, does every dish have cheese in it? Like, is it 
it's not just grilled cheeses. No, it's salads, no, 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 no. like, please. Right. So we try and showcase cheese, obviously, in very approachable ways, hence the mac and cheeses and grilled cheeses, but also to show people how diverse cheese is and how they can use it uh, to cook really uh, sensational and exciting things at home. So we try and feature it in, in practically every dish. Uh, yeah. Well, so I think it's also it, you can educate people how different cheeses can substitute for maybe like what you would normally put in mac and cheese or Absolutely. a grilled cheese. Like Absolutely. it just doesn't have to be American. You know what I mean? Like you can really mm-hmm. right play to, with to, it. to really highlight um, the variety of cheeses that are out there and the neat ways they can be used. It doesn't have to just be slices of cheese for sure. Right. Okay. So what are we pouring next? Okay. So the next combination is going to be a Northern California cheese from Cowgirl Creamery uh, that is called Chimney Rock. And it is dusted in um, shiitake mushroom powder. It's very exciting. This one is going to be paired with probably my favorite style of wine in the world, which is a French rosé. Mine too. I drink rosé all day, every day, me all too. year, not just in the summertime. I don't know where that came like. from. I know. It I just kills like it me. Up like intravenously, like drink it totally rosé all year, people. Make them happy. They're sad when you don't drink their wine. Um, so anyway, so this is a French rosé. It's a blend of Sanso and Grenache. So very bright, very fruity. Classic um, Provençal. Yes. I mean, it's it's absolutely Absolutely. And what kind of cheese are you cutting? Oh, so this is going to be um, Chimney Rock from Cowgirl Creamery, which, oh, again, right. very creamy, luscious cow's milk cheese from Petaluma, California. Fabulous. Okay, we'll be back to you at the end of the Wonder show. Well, not yet. Chef Drew went out to get something, so. No, he didn't. He's right he's in there. I thought, I, what are you doing there? All I right. asked him to sit down so, because he can't talk from I over there. There's of, no mic over there. I had a lot of lot of fun talking to Drew Adams. Uh, Drew is the executive chef at Bourbon Steak. This guy's a surfer. He's a forager. You went to J&W, Johnson & Wales, you worked Charleston. with Robert, you were at Plume, um, you were at Rose's Luxury, mm-hmm. you were with Jeremiah, right? Yep. And now you're at Bourbon Steak. That's the dab name for people who don't yes. know who Jeremiah Now I'm at Bourbon Steak. Yeah. Now you're at Bourbon Steak. Which is a great restaurant. You got an around, you, you, you've been around town, you've, you've, done you've done been here for a while. Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, since David sort of gave your resume. Which is pretty um, impressive. What were some of the things, given the places that you've been at? That you were like, yeah, the, these are things I want to do when I'm when I'm doing it on my own as the executive chef. You know, I, I think I think more so for us, uh, aside from uh, the food aspect, it was more about building cultures. You know, I think early on, uh, you know, working with Robert and Marcel's and mm-hmm. uh, Plume, um, I opened up Plume from the beginning, so we really got to to build that restaurant. And for us, it's more so about building cultures and and you know taking over. I at, mean, Plume is one of the more fine dining restaurants. It is. You know, in the city. I mean, it's there's. What did we have on for the Jefferson? Was it the Psalm or the GM? Yeah, we had the Psalm. Shafardi, what was his last name? Oh, uh, Michael Scafidi. Scafidi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's ago. up in. Uh, I think he's at Union Square now in right. New York. Yeah, yeah. Or he yeah. might have come back. Um, but yeah, and then and then roses and and obviously with Jeremiah at the Dabney. Um, but they're all levels of. I, I use the term fine dining. Sure. Sort of loosely, like they're all levels of fine dining in, its own in, way. in, in their own way. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like fine dining doesn't necessarily mean a white tablecloth anymore, right? Yep. So, like when you went to Bourbon Steak, listen, Bourbon Steak has been, you know, one of the better restaurants in the DC market sure. since it's opened. So, how did you go in there and be like, okay, this is what I would like to do here. This is what how I put my stamp on it, but still work with the clientele who are there. Sure, I think uh, you know I came on. Uh, we had about thirty steaks on the menu. So first off, uh, we cut that in half. 
Okay. You know, and we did a bunch That's of blind. That's a lot of product. It's a lot of product. We did a bunch of blind tastings at the beginning, regardless of who it was. And we just and wanted thank the, you for the call, because yeah, I really. Yeah, where the hell was I? <laughs> we just wanted the best that we could buy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and whatever. And your PR the, person didn't call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to come That's in now. Right. Next time we go swimming, watch out. Sure. <laughs> um, so we wanted to, uh, you know, really focus on the steaks and just, you know, cut that in half and, um get the best that we could buy regardless of where it was from or but you or, still or use the Michael Mina method yes, with all the steaks of course so the we butter soupy, poach all of our, yep. po- our all our steaks and then they're on the wood burning grill mm-hmm. um, and then we wanted to put more of a focus on the other side of the menu you know, like you know we we knew we were a great steakhouse and we wanted to be known as a a, a great restaurant you know mm-hmm. so we wanted to have everything you know everything that we could provide we just hired a new uh, pastry chef which is great she's awesome who is it uh her name's chelsea spaulding okay uh she comes from atlanta um and uh she worked at norman's in florida as well a mm-hmm. uh, pretty reputable place um and we started focusing a lot more on the rest of the menu you know now we understand that sometimes people come in and they want steak and 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 potatoes or sides but now we've we've opened up so much more to your everyday diner well so the restaurant always used to have a garden yep. outside which you're still taking on you're no still working so with it? we lost the garden uh, right before i came on they stopped doing it okay. um, but we're looking at a space on the property for this spring you okay. know we're gonna we're gonna try and, and work something out if we can but but you're a forager yeah I am. talk about yeah. the forage where do you go to forage uh so we you know uh, currently just more so along the potomac uh into virginia on the maryland side you know carter rock has a lot of carter rock has a lot of everything you know if, so if, what does that mean for people who aren't familiar with sure. foraging what does what does foraging mean in uh, this area uh just edible things that you find walking around the city I know, but or, like or, what or in the woods so uh like right now um we have one of the most uh we have this fruit here it's called a pawpaw it's uh one of the northernmost tropical fruits that's indigenous mm-hmm. to this area grows along the potomac and they're out everywhere right now it's kind of like a mix between uh banana mango and 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 like an avocado almost uh depending on where it's from uh and then we were just out the other day there's hickory out uh you know we found some hickory nuts we found some spice bush uh, which is uh, a close relative to allspice, okay. Um, which is really cool. And then we found some overgrown nettles left over from the spring. Wow. A lot of different crests, like watercress and uh, uh, mustard oh, greens as well. And those just grow wild. Everywhere. You know? What about, do you do mushrooms as well? We do. Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, mushrooms. Is, mycology is... So that's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable with probably about (laughs) five of them. You know, chanterelles, uh, morels, chicken of the woods. Um, I found some wood ears the other day uh, and some buttons outside of that. There's some pretty scary looking ones out there. There are some pretty scary. With all this rain? Yeah. Without a doubt. It's it's really cool right now. You can walk out in the woods and you'll see. We saw one with teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a black one? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It look like death? Yeah, it really did. It was like, <laughs> eat me and die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the things we started to look into. Um, I'm looking into joining the Ecological Society There's a big one here in D.C. There is, and mm-hmm. we just got invited to do, uh, we're doing an event with Star Chefs in Brooklyn oh, at the cool. end of October, and the Mushroom Council who's based in Alexandria wants us to do a blended mushroom and beef burger well, for them. I got a question. We're going to take a break in a minute and come back, but you know, how deep do you have to go so you're not in danger of being somewhere where the city is spraying to, you know, to sure. kill weeds? Well, you wash and, it. I mean, yeah. No, you no, no. If it's, even if it's sprayed with that. Just walk off the stuff. path, you know, a couple a couple yards off the path. I mean, you can walk all along Rock Creek and find everything in mm-hmm. Rock Creek, you know. And, and, and for the most part, you go down to, like, Billy Goat Trail or anything on the Maryland side, Great Falls. Um, I mean. That's they, true. They're not spraying No, there. they do a pretty good job of maintaining that as well. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how people can go foraging with you and then what it looks like on your menu, like how your menu is changing to reflect your passions. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I want to thank our sponsors, Mm-hmm. Profish, the fabulous market at River Falls in downtown Potomac, mm-hmm. Central Farm Markets, and Meat Crafters. I want to let everybody know we got a surprise coming up on November the November the 11th is our 10th anniversary show on the air. It's a two-hour special that will air live from Blue Jacket. Mm-hmm. So we've been drinking beer and talking to everybody. And wine. No, um, we have a lot of people who are going to be participating in that. We're very excited. And you should come down there because it'll be a lot of fun. It will be a lot and of we'll fun. we'll give away $10 million. <laughs> well, that's a lie, but you should come down. All right, so let's get back to Chef Drew. Talk about these because we can actually go foraging with sure. you. There's a whole yep. package, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, so the package starts at about $615, what it is. Um, uh, coming to the hotel at about 10 o'clock in the morning, we... We'll do like a seasonal um, seasonal dish, something along the lines of, of this, uh, tartine. Well, can you explain, since people sure. can't see it, so what it is? So basically, uh, it's a house-made good smoke ricotta, um, and then just a lot of seasonal vegetables on it right now. We have some and green flowers. tomatoes, some figs, some uh, some uh, hyacinth bean blossoms, uh, Edward's ham, um, some pea shoots, mm. and some last, last year's uh, pickled rams. So good. Um, so, uh, arrive at 10 o'clock, uh, get something similar to this, uh, and then we'll give you a little drink too, that I think we have too. It's, uh, just like a, called a revitalizer, it's spinach, um, kale, uh, orange juice, uh, uh, young ginger, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's really delicious, and then we start the walk, so we take a car, basically I'll go out the day before, a couple days before, see what, uh, what spots are kind of popping off, I guess, and, right. um, and then we base the trip on that. So it's about two hours in the woods, um, then come back, uh, and we um, we do a dinner based off of the things that we find. So it's a tasting menu, about a five to seven so course really tasting menu. So you really go off what you find, right? Yeah, so basically we'll – so it's very hard for me to legally bring stuff. I can't go out and pick stuff and bring it into the hotel. Um, right. You just can't do that. I mean, um, in the past I've gotten backdoor drops, and a lot of chefs get backdoor drops all the time mm-hmm. um, from some of the local foragers. But I know a forager that actually supplies one of our purveyors, so I can go out and see what there is, and typically he'll have the similar stuff, and I can just buy it off of them. And work off of that. Yeah, so then we'll bring in the stuff that way. Like we got some uh, chicken in the woods the other day, uh, which were which were incredible, um, and some chanterelles about a couple weeks ago. So when you were – I want to go back to your steak just a little bit. When sure. you were deciding like to change the menu up as far mm-hmm. as the steaks offered – what what right now are you finding? You're like, this is what turns me on. These are the kinds of meats I want on the menu. What sure. were you thinking? Um, so like cut wise, you know, one of the things. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a ribeye guy. I love ribeyes, and I I'm love the cat. I mean, it's the, the best. I mean, do you have uh, like you know? I feel like the axe right now is so hot. You know what I mean? It's, it's everything you want. Um, right. You know, for us, uh, we we focus a lot on this company out of Colorado called Seven X. Um, it's uh, American Wagyu. It is honestly, it's the best beef I've ever had in my life. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started bringing in different cuts. Right now, we're offering. Uh, so New it's York all strip. from one purveyor. Yeah. So we do about wow. four to five steaks from them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about fourteen on the menu. And then our most recent thing, uh, we've been diving a lot more into Wagyu. Um, so we got in this really cool uh, beef um, uh, called Sunuki. It's from the island of Sotoshima. It's one of the top olive oil producers in Japan. Okay. And um, so back in the day, they tried to, they didn't know what to do with all the leftover olive mesh, so they tried to feed it to the cattle. Um, and they weren't eating it, so they started mixing it with caramel, and now the cattle uh, caramel? basically. Caramel? 
Yeah, caramel and, and uh, olive mash. So now the cattle feeds Great. off of that, and now uh, it's one of the They're hardest. Like cavities, but they love. Sure. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it produces this really, really uh, meaty A5. You know, uh, typically most of your A5 is just super fatty and super rich. Uh, this eats more like like a steak and and coincidentally. So it has like the chew. Yeah, it has a little bit of texture to it. It's great. Um, it's one of the hardest. Uh, it took me about six months to find it, and it's probably one of the most expensive, rarest pieces of beef on the market right now. And how do people respond to the cost? Oh, uh, so we sell it for about a hundred dollars an ounce, or ninety nine dollars okay. an ounce, a three ounce minimum. I'll tell you how I just <laughs> reacted. Um, <laughs> Other uh, people, not the, my husband. Other uh, people. You know, I mean, we don't we don't do too well off it. You know, I mean, uh, it's uh, one of those things that we just wanted to have, and it's a it's a fun thing. I mean, surprisingly, it's yeah, it's fun. You know, it's cool. It's it's you know, I think we were one of the only restaurants in the city to have it. We were one of I think four in the country to have it. Wow. Um and uh, and people fire away at it. I mean, it's <laughs> wild. What's the name of the cow that uh, Lulu and uh, have Randall, Randall. Lineback. Mm -hmm. So we just got some of their product in as well. They're We've awesome. We've had them on the show. They're so, amazing. Yeah, we got um, we Joe got a Henderson. He, yep. Have you talked with him? He's like this incredible amount of education. Yeah, I heard he's I heard he's, he's incredible. Insane. We just started using some of their beef. Uh, we got in. Uh, I actually brought in like four ribeyes this weekend, and we sold them all in like a day. That's it was cool. it was pretty wild. But their stuff is amazing as well. Um, and. Uh, yeah, so right now we're just focusing on our A5 program, trying to – it's always fun to be the only kid on the block with the new toy, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So then everyone else catches well, on. Well, let me get you know. take right, back to, to the commercial up. part of this. How do we – do we just call the main desk? Yeah, so you can up? just call the concierge or call the Four Seasons Hotel. They'll put you in touch with the concierge. And uh, – huh? Yeah, and you, there's the option to stay overnight for based off room rates. Starting at about five hundred as well, so you can make it an all-inclusive like experience. Does sound like yeah, fun. really cool. It sounds like so. a fun way to sounds do like it. Sounds like a media event. <laughs> it sounds like my husband wants something for free, which of is course. so like disgusting and annoying. Well, we can just go on a walk sometime. How yeah, you could just go for a walk. How about that? I'll go for a walk. Right. All right. So um, <laughs> let's make sure everybody knows. If you don't know where the Four Seasons is, what's it's in Georgetown. What's the street address? Uh, twenty four hundred M Street. Yeah. It's hard to miss. It's hard to miss. It's, it's right, right at the, the bottom corner. of Georgetown. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't miss it. You got the Eno Wine Bar yep. too. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. doing Taste of Georgetown cool. today, which is really cool. Yeah. All right. And wet and cool. rainy. <laughs> yeah. Well, under the bridge. Under the bridge. That's right. It is under no, the not bridge. Too bad. There Pete's you go. Watching the Redskins getting punched around. You should go to there. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, guys. Let's go back to Jill. So, okay, Jill, let's tell everybody where all your, we can call them restaurants now, yes. right? Where all your restaurants yes. are. Yes. So we have one in the Delray neighborhood of Alexandria, mm -hmm. uh, one in the village at Sherlington in mm -hmm. Arlington. Our third is in Ballston in Arlington. I feel like and there's a Virginia theme here. There is. I love doing business in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is our fourth that we just opened at the end of June in the Mosaic District in, uh, in Fairfax. Great. And- when you when people come in, like, do you have cheese averse people who are like who just know? Is there such a thing? No, but you know there, there are people is. who just know like the the basic cheeses. How do you go about educating their palates and being like, okay, if you like this, you're gonna like this? How do you communicate with with well with all your guests, but in general with newbies who maybe are afraid to do a triple cream or you know they're like, no, I don't like blue or you know how do you 
How do you open up their palates and expand their knowledge? Yeah, that's one of uh, the great um, parts of our job, actually, is to educate people and help them expand their horizons a little. So it's asking a lot of questions. Someone comes in there, you can tell that they're curious. You can tell they are a little bit intimidated and sort of afraid to approach the case, so to speak. So asking questions is the best way to to get that information and say, well, what kind of cheeses do you normally enjoy? Oh, and if you like that, you've got to try this. And then you've got to give them something good. You can't freak them out like, oh, try this incredibly offensive, you know, stinky. Right, super stinky. Yeah, yeah but um, I, I disagree because there, there are cheese. I mean, there are right, because you're in the cheese business and you understand how it works. I'm not. I'm just saying as a consumer, there are cheeses that candidly smell like, you know, feet. Oh but yes, they, they don't take. They t they have an unbelievable right. But taste. you do, you do have to ease like a, a true newbie. You have to ease them into that because um, that sense of smell will almost dominate every other right. urge they might have, and they they you will see they literally cannot get the cheese to their face if they're not prepared for that kind of experience. Right. So so easing people into things is really great. And there's also different uh, spectrum of intensities even within classes of cheese. So right. even even in your washed rind category, there are milder ones that, that we would call starter uh, stinky cheeses, and then you can give them. You you know, stinking bishop at the other end of the spectrum. So it's just reading uh, your, your your clientele, just like anything. Well, speaking of classes, do you do classes? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's one of the one of all the properties? Things. Mm -hmm. What so an opening. Take it away. Tell right. So we do. We, we teach uh, cheese and wine classes. We also have wine-centric and cheese-centric dinners. So we have one, in fact, this Tuesday night in Sherlington, which is a five-course cheese-centric wine dinner. So five courses, five wines, and we're focusing on a specific importer of cheese. I um, mean, these really iconic cheeses that they do. So it's a great way, obviously, to eat and drink while also learning and experiencing, which is pretty unique. And it's unique. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just there's not a you just don't see as much of it in the area, and it's right. just amazing that you've been able to grow the business. It's and, a lot of fun. Um, I mean, as a cheese eater, <laughs> I love it. Okay, what's Nine the last cheese? Right. So Jeez. we're we're gonna end with a real whammy here on um, one of the most authentic and delicious American artisan cheeses called Rogue River Blue from okay. um, Oregon, which is a raw cow's milk blue. It's very rare. It's only released once a year, and people like basically have to put their names in early to get wheels of this cheese. Um, it's a raw cow's milk, so it's really rich and piquant, um, and it's just it's just outstanding, wrapped in a Syrah grape leaves Enjoy. and soaked in pear brandy. So and you're serving it with a red, right? We're serving We're it with a red, to. yes, okay. but it's a very special kind of red. This is a you got to go fast because the oh, show's over oh, in a minute. This is a Monsant blend. So it's a Spanish red, very juicy, fruity, um, with a little bit of spice. Awesome. So it's the perfect complement to a blend. All right. Look for cheese teak all over Virginia. Yes. Marylanders, tough noogies. Uh, <laughs> everything you heard about on the show today, you can find information uh, on the listareyouwantit.com, Nikki's website. Mm -hmm. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, listen to her on WTOP every Thursday live at 1240. Mm -hmm. And what else? I think that's it. That's it. So we uh -huh. want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. This was indeed a delicious show, and we certainly learned about a lot of different cuisines from all over the world. We did. Um, we please, you can lot. always find this show on my website, mm -hmm. and you can also find it uh, here at WFED. Uh, next week's show is going to be delicious as well. We have the Grapes of Spain coming in, so there'll be lots of delicious wines to try. Uh, thank you again for One joining other us. Thing. FullServiceRadio.org. Oh, Listen yes. to us online. We have another radio show on Mondays out of the fabulous Line Hotel called Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Okay. Thank you all. Everybody have a delicious week.